Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, so what kind of church is going to take advantage of the great opportunity? It's a church that remembers who we are, right? Uh, so we, um, we talked about uh, uh, in the first week of this, it's a church that, uh, that says God's glory is more important than ours. This isn't about God getting on with our agenda and helping us uh, have great lives. This is about using our lives for his um, glory. He must increase, we must what? Decrease, right? Um, it's about him. It's not about us. It's about his kingdom, not um, ours. It's that kind of church that remembers who they are, right? Jesus said the one who seeks to save his life ultimately ends up what? He loses his life. It's the one who gives up his life for my sake. He's the one who actually finds life. That was week one. Week two, we talked about our mission, Brandon's sermon last week. If you, didn't, uh, if you weren't here or didn't um, catch it, then... Um, than you need to. It was fantastic. Um, Brandon um, talked about the fact that, that the kind of church that's going to take advantage of the great opportunity uh, isn't about itself, but it's about its community. How do we make our um, community flourish? How do we take what God's done in our lives and bring it uh, to broken people and broken places, right? So here we come to, uh, to the third week. So if you're able to stand as I read um, God's word. What kind of church takes advantage of the great opportunity? We start with um, these words in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race. This is verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't that beautiful? God called you out of darkness. Once you didn't belong to him. Once you were far away from home. But now you are God's people, his family. So in Romans chapter 15, we're gonna read a couple verses Starting at verse one, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Remember, not about us, but about the weak, Paul instructs the church. May the God of endurance, verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if your life is about glorifying God and not yourself, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And all this for the glory of God. Amen. This is God's word. Every bit of it is true and it's given to us because we have a father who loves to communicate to his children. He loves us. Amen. Be seated, um, please. 
What kind of church is going to take advantage of the great opportunity? It's a church that remembers who it is. We are the welcomed. We've experienced welcome, so we welcome. It's that kind of church. You know, welcome has power. Welcome has agency. Welcome has beauty. We know that. There are people who go to pubs almost every night, right? There are people who have their favorite pub, their favorite bar, um, and they go there for what? Often it's not the booze, it's they go there for the what? The community, right? For the welcome. Everybody wants to go somewhere where what? Where they know your name, where everybody knows your name. Interestingly enough, there's AA groups that are the, exactly the same, trying to keep people out of the bars and, and, uh, and pubs. And people go there because there's camaraderie, there's family, there's fellow strugglers, there's welcome, the power of welcome. AA declares you cannot be sober alone. You need a family. Listen, there are actually families that get welcome, right? When I was a kid growing up in Miami, I, um, I had a friend named Debbie. Debbie was cute. Debbie was sweet. Debbie wasn't my girlfriend. I went to her house every Sunday night, though, because of her mother. Her mother was Cuban. And her mother, when I walked through the door, mi casa es tu casa Ramon, and she'd hug me, and, and uh, out came the flan, and out came the tres leches, and out came the pastelitos, and why wouldn't I go there every Sunday um, night to Mrs. Sullivan? She loved me, and uh, you know, everything dropped uh, to have me in her house, and out came the food, and out came the Cuban coffee. It was, oh, still good to remember. Uh, families, some families get welcome. Maybe you experienced that. Maybe it was a grandparent, right? Some family uh, in your neighborhood that uh, their door was always open. It's beautiful. Welcome has power, right? Um, it meets a deep longing inside of us. Now, some businesses have it. Some don't, right? Some businesses you walk in and, and you couldn't scare up any interest from the employees, uh, it, you know, if you had $1,000 bills taped to you, you know, um, but some businesses get it. I've told you before about Diane and I driving up uh, I-95 uh, to, towards Savannah, and we got off, and we headed this little town called Darien. I actually got there. There was nothing but dirt roads and, and trailers, and back in this uh, end of this dirt road with a trailer, we found the old-school diner, and when we pulled in, there was Chef Jerome. Look at the old-school diner there. The parking lot of this old-school diner is covered not with uh, asphalt, but with uh, carpet ripped out of mobile homes uh, all over <laughs> the ground. Uh, it's a ramshackle place, but Chef Jerome came barreling out as we um, pulled up. Never been there before, never met this fellow before, but he was, he, he was saying, my family, my family. And he came out and he was hugging us and he said, get in here. He said, the hush puppies are almost ready. I threw them on when I saw your car coming down the road. And uh, you know, you go in there and you ask the, uh, the, the waitress, what's, what's, the, what's on the chef's platter? She said, looks at you like, you just trust the chef. That's what's on the chef's platter. It's like a family. You don't walk in somebody's house and say, I'd like to order so-and-so. You don't order at the old school diner. They bring out whatever they want to bring out um, to feed you. It's family. Welcome home to the family. By the time the night was over, Diane and I were walking down that dirt road to Chef Jerome's house to pray with his wife who was um, sick. 
You know, Chef Jerome, I read about him afterwards. He was a cocaine cowboy in the, in the Keys. God rescued him. Um, family, it's beautiful. Um, so who needs welcome? Who needs welcome? Everybody. Everybody's desperate for a family to belong to. Everybody craves the kiss of a father to, who welcomes his children home. So what is the great opportunity about it's remembering who we are? We are the welcomed, so we welcome. So you got a sermon outline? You do, if you brought your, um, your book, right? I think it's page 20 in your um, book. You can scribble down your notes there. Let's talk about who do we welcome as a church? We welcome one another, right? Because we're family. You welcome your family. We are God's people, his family. I will be your God and you shall be my people, right? Here's the great covenant promise. You shall be my people. But we don't just belong to God, we belong to each other. And the church is to be a community marked with deep affection, extravagant generosity, and, and heartfelt joy. And where does this community come from? Where does the ethos of this community come from? The Trinity, right? God is, well, there's one God, but a multi-personal God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a great difference with Islam, right? Allah is just Allah. Allah is alone. If Allah existed from all eternity past, Allah existed with nobody. He didn't love because there was nobody to love. Islam doesn't say that Allah is love. Christianity says God is love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lived in blissful, mutual support and encouragement and harmony and delight. So they decide to create because, well, why shouldn't other people be invited to the party? That's where the community comes from God making his family in, in his own image, made to live in community, and it's not optional, right? The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. You know, it, it says in um, Corinthians, when it compares the church to a body, and it says the parts of the body can't stand by themselves. What good is an eye, right? Uh, just by itself. An eye in a Petri dish is kind of gross, right? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor the head to the feet. I have no need of you. We're interdependent, desperately. We need each other. I was reading about the, the black church and the, and the African-American church in, in North American history, and, and somebody said, they said, um, um, why, answering the question, why is, is the African-American church, why was it such so much the hub of its community, uh, and everything sort of revolved around it. It had such tight bonds. And it was somebody who said, well, I, I lived in Alabama. It's too hard to be black in Alabama without Jesus. And it was too hard to be black in Alabama without each other, right? The church. Um, I, I, I read the story of a guy who walked the Appalachian um, Trail. That's 2,167 miles from, from Maine um, all the way to um, Springer Mountain, I think it is, in Georgia. And uh, they asked him afterwards, what was the highlight of that incredible accomplishment? He didn't walk in a group. He walked by himself. What was the highlight? You'd expect him to say what? The beauty, the splendor, maybe the, the ardor, the difficulty, the challenge, the, um, the experience of being out in, in nature and that's not what he said. He said the community. 
He walked alone. He said to community, he said, nobody can do this alone. He said, the number of people who give you food and shelter and encouragement night after night in the different shelters and places you stay, the number who share water, who share everything with you along the way, encouragement, keep you going. It's a long walk. It's a long walk in this world, isn't it? It's a lot harder than walking the Appalachian Trail. We need each other, community. The church is God's family. That means it's your family. It doesn't say the church is like a family. The church is your family. Do you get that? Is that the way you view the church? I think the predominant view in North America is well, we don't feel the neediness of, of, of the church, the, the, the need for belonging to a church. We view the church more like the why. You know, it's great to have a place to gym. It's great to have a place to go and exercise. It's great to exercise in your life, you know. So you go to the why. Maybe you know a few people at the counter and other people that are exercising there. And the church is the same thing. It's great to have some religion in your life, you know. And so just like the why, it's, it's, a good, it's good to have a church. You go there on weekends, you get some inspiration, whatever. You go out to the car, you go home, and you ever really get in a tight spot? Well, there's always the church, you know. You don't understand that Jesus is the hub of everything. Every part of your life, your business, um, your family, um, your neighbors, your community, your exercise, your body, your recreation, your, your education, every part of your life revolves around Jesus and his church because this is your family. It's not a family. It's not like a family. It's your family. I believe this to, the, to, the, to my bones. I remember saying, we're going to start a church in Citrus County, but if it doesn't become a family, I'm going to leave and I'm going to tear it down before I leave because I don't want anybody to come in that place and think they're experiencing the church of Jesus Christ when they experience something that's not a family and doesn't act like a family. If it's not going to be a family, we're not doing it. I'm not going to raise my kids there. We're not going to go there. It has to be a family. You got it? So what's the great opportunity about this? Remembering. Remembering who we are. And it comes with some implications. And what are they? One is don't fight. Don't, uh, don't quarrel. That's just not going to mark um, this family. I love what Paul uh, says to Timothy. And when he says to him, I'm writing these things to you so that you know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Every family has to have family rules, right? Family culture. And uh, Paul's saying to Timothy, we've got to set the markers of family culture. Remember what Paul does in Philippians chapter 4? So he writes a book to this new church that's developing in the town of Philippi, and right in the middle of the book, he calls out two ladies in the church by name, Right? Euodia and Syntyche, stop fighting. Knock it off. And there been, the whole 2,000 years, we've all heard of these two ladies, right? Everybody who has a Bible can open it up and see the, the dirty business of, uh, of the correction of these two um, ladies. Listen, I think it's fairly safe to assert that this year has probably um, been the year for church squabbling of all years. Between COVID squabbling and, uh, and uh, racial issue squabbling and then the election squabbling, we got churches expending their energy fighting each other. We've got COVID pietists 
who are COVID sensitive, who wear masks because they love their neighbors. And we've got non-mask COVID um, people who will not be cowed by a, a tyrannical government. I just say a pox on both their houses. Um, we're not gonna, um, we are not uh, gonna fight. And you know what? This church has done a fantastic job of keeping your eye on um, the mission. We, um, we are not going to waste our energy fighting with each other. There, there is mission to do, to go to the um, world, to be the light of the world, to destroy the works of the devil, to bring beauty to brokenness. You know what I say to people? Sometimes I get these um, uh, emails and, and, uh, th- that want to make a, their point, and, and I just think, we had two middle school boys in our community kill themselves um, a week ago. Um, we got um, kids growing up in homes without moms or dads. We've got lonely people. We've got broken marriages. You name it, we got it, right? And uh, we, got too, we got too much work to do to be churches that are arguing um, about this or that. Um, um, we got, we're not, we're not going to waste our energy fighting. That's not who we are. And um, uh, I, I don't know that we'll send you away if you're a squabbler, but we will ignore you. Uh, that I promise. Um, I love this. Uh, so I'm reading a book about a, a guy who was a, a, a Methodist bishop. That means he had lots of churches under them. So he'd gathered, he was in Alabama, and he gathered the churches together to like give a report. And so he just asked them, where, where do you see God at work um, in your church recently? And uh, some of the folks were from a Hispanic church, and this was their report. They said, oh, last Sunday was good. We came to the time for prayer request. Alicia asked, this is right in the service, Alicia asked for prayers for her next door neighbor whose husband beat her. Alicia said she heard the husband shouting when she left for church that morning. That's when pastor said, we don't need to ask Jesus to bother with this. Come on, let's go. Pastor led us all out of the church into the parking lot. We all got into cars except the kids. We went to Alicia's apartment house. We got out. Pastor banged on the man's door. Open up in the name of Jesus, he shouted. The man cursed us, told us to go away. Pastor knocked again. Then Hosea and Raul kicked down the door. Pastor warned the man not to stand in our way when we were working for Jesus. We got the poor woman and her two kids out of the house. We told them we'd look after them. They'd be safe with us. Pastor told the husband he needed to do what he needed to do if he ever wanted to see his wife and kids again. He rebuked the unclean spirit. We all came back to church and finished the service. After lunch, we filed a report with the police. Pastors visited the man in jail and thinks we have a chance with him. That's church. Some of you have never wanted to be deacons. I'm telling you, if you could go kick down doors, uh, you might sign up. We got work to do. Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil, to bring light to dark places. So we're not gonna fight, and and, and there's another implication of being family, and that is we want another, right? One another, the New Testament loves this reciprocal pronoun, one another, love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing love. One another, one another, one another. They're all over the the New Testament. Instruct one another, wait for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, pray for one another. I love the next one, put up with one another. Um, If you can't love them, put up with them, right? One another, one another. God's family is marked by extravagant love and laughter and generosity and care and feasting and weeping and dancing together. 
Everyone is desperate to have a family to belong to. Everybody. Everybody's desperate for a family. Um, I was reading a, um, a, some posts, and uh, I think it was on Twitter this week, and uh, people started telling what um, uh, deeds of kindness that came to them totally unexpected, and almost every one of them was from a Christian. I had a Christian executive at work quietly slip me a permanent parking pass to the much closer parking spaces when I was pregnant. It was our secret. I'll never forget this act of kindness. My family went through severe poverty in my early teens. Every Sunday, without fail, there would be a neatly rolled $200 under our windshield wipers when we left from church. That's how we survived. We never found out who the giver was. They kept us fed and clothed that year. My industry collapsed and I suddenly had a mortgage, two car payments, zero income. Our church group knew. I dreaded when the electric bill came. I dreaded opening it, but it had $300 credit on it. Someone wrote a big check toward our account. I still don't know who. This is what it smells like. That's what it smells like to be one anothering. We see. We see where people are struggling. And we don't just say, I'll pray for you. We wade in. Take care of each other. It's beautiful. I read about a church that the son got um, arrested. I think it was drunk driving. I think he actually killed somebody. It was a terrible thing. He was in prison. It was very difficult to visit him. He wasn't doing well there at all. And um, parents were in a small group. The visit, you had to, the visiting started at seven in the morning and, uh, and only so many people every day could go. And people would line up. You had to be there by 2 a.m. in line to actually have a chance to get into the prison. And these parents, between their other children and their work and trying to keep their family afloat and everything else, that was very onerous. So their small group all took a turn. They'd, one by one by one, the small group people would get up and take a day, and they'd go down and get in line at 2 a.m. and wait and hold a place in line for them for hours through the night for their brother and sister because they're family and because that's what families do. Got it? It's a great opportunity. It's remembering who we are. I had, had an amazing experience a couple years ago. So it's after church, and, uh, and there's a lady who's been in our church 10, 11 years, and she's moving back up north, and uh, her compatriots in the church bring her out, and they say, tell them, tell them. Come on, you gotta tell them. And uh, I said, yeah, tell me. And um, I had no idea what they had to tell me. And they said, tell them, tell them how you first came here. And so she did. She said, I moved to this community. I didn't know anybody. I was so lonely, um, not married, and, and, um, and uh, just desperate, so desperate I'd even go to a church, so desperate I even went to yours. And um, I, um, I, I came in that week, and I immediately noticed there was a buzz in the room, and there was warmth there. My hopes just soared, and you had this greeting time, and uh, people came up, and they said hello to me. Uh, but that was it. Uh, they didn't talk to me really after the service. Nothing extended. They did their duty. Um, and then she said the same, uh, next week I came back and it was the same thing and the same the third and the fourth. And, and she said, I came um, nine times and it, uh, and it was always the same. I could tell everybody was friendly to each other. And, um, and I so longed for this and it was frustrating. And, 
Uh, she said, I even switched sides. I thought, maybe I'm on the wrong side. I think she was, I think she was over there. Um, and, I, and she switched to over there. In fact, I know that because you guys are really nice. And, um, but the, but uh, she said, uh, it didn't seem to make a difference. It was the same thing. And, and she said, the 10th time when I was driving to church, I said, this is it. This is the last chance. And she said, you know what? I found that my anger wasn't really directed at the church. It was directed at God. She said, you are the one who sees me. You know me. You say you care about me, but nothing. Um, nobody's uh, uh, pulling me in. Nobody's reaching out. Nobody's really, uh, nobody says come to lunch you know, afterwards. Nobody, I can't find my way in. I don't think you care. I don't think you, that I matter to you. She was so mad. She came the 10th time, same thing, greeting. People were nice. After the greeting, she sat down, and suddenly there was a tap on her shoulder, and someone said, you shouldn't be sitting here by yourself. Why don't you come sit with us? And then when the service is over, they said, some of us are going to lunch. Why don't you go with us? And then after the lunch was over, they said, you know, we have a small group. Why don't you come and be in a small group with us? And here's the kicker. She said, it wasn't many weeks after that that I became a Christian. Beautiful stuff. God provokes somebody to say, come be a part of our family. Can I say one word? If you're coming to Seven Rivers Church and you say, that is me, I can't find my way in. First of all, I want to apologize to you because I'm so sorry. I mean, it's a dream that you'd be coming. You come more than once and you keep trying. Um, I, I, am, I am really sorry. Come tell me after church. Come tell somebody around you if you could be vulnerable enough to just say that. I want to be a part, but I don't know how to get in. Um, and and, and I'm, I don't want to ask, but maybe be a little patient with us because I know a lot of people in our church, they've been scalded because they've, they've tried a number of times to walk up to people and say, hey, are you new here? And they say, no, I've been coming 14 years. Um, they kind of got their hands slapped trying to be um, welcoming. Um, so, um, and, and you know what I'd say? If you find it hard to get in, then we need you. We need you to remember that it was hard for you and come and join us and help us do a better job. Would you do that? That'd be awesome. Um, the great opportunity isn't, pastor, you might say, I, I thought the great opportunity was about money. No, it's about remembering who you are. We're the family of God. Second, then, who do we welcome? We not only welcome each other, but we welcome people who are far from God. The welcoming father, right? We are made in the image of a father who has this tremendous love for his children who are far off. Everybody craves the kiss of a father welcoming wayward children home. Why did Jesus leave the gated community in which he lived to step into our mess of a world, to seek his lost brothers and sisters. Jesus is the welcomer, right? Come to me. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, think about Jesus, the whole ministry of Jesus. He welcomes outsiders, the immigrant, the big sinners. He befriends the sexually wayward. He touches the leper. No one would dare get near. He does lunch with the hated tax collector. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. 
I'm going to eat with you today. He hears the cry of blind Bartimaeus. He has regard for the nobodies. Remember the Bible says, Jesus says again and again, heaven is like a, you know, a wedding um, banquet. And he tells them, he said, you know, if you throw a dinner, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. They'll just turn around and reciprocate and invite you in return. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. You know what he's saying? That's what I've done. That's who I invite. That's, who come, that's who's coming to the eternal um, feast. Martin Luther said, God is a sucker for sinners and fools and weaklings. And let's face it, his welcome is more liberal than we're comfortable with. Jesus' welcome is more liberal than I'm comfortable with. We like to be with people like us. We want to welcome people we like, people we're attracted to, people we agree with, people we enjoy. Babylon B is a satire site online, um, and they poke fun, and part of the way they poke fun is the saying things that have an element of truth to them. Recently, they had this sign. It was Hartford Avenue Baptist Church. This is satire, satire. You got that? Um, and on their sign, it said, all are welcome. But some of the congregation said, I'm not sure that's accurate, Pastor. So they added this asterisk. All are welcome. We'll accept sinners and tobacco chewers and tattooed people and homosexuals and Democrats and smokers and drinkers and dancers. And the other side of the sign said, um, uh, hippies, hipsters, vegans, R-rated movie watchers, and Methodists. None of those are... Um, um, and the pastor was quoted as saying, I'm really hoping this clarification lends to a much more homogenous group of people gathering to worship the Lord this Sunday. That's satire, that's satire, that's satire. Um, but it's also too often, while unstated, true. But we have to remember who we are. Um, you know, I, I remember we um, decided we were going to make more of an effort to, be, uh, to, to, to make this welcoming culture in our church a couple years ago. And we thought one of our problems is identifying visitors so we can take better care of them. So we came up with a parking scheme to do that. And part of our parking scheme involved one-way parking, a one-way campus. It was a high point of our life as a church that um, weekend as traffic backed up all the way on to 44. And... Uh, and when people finally got into our property and got directed, some of them weren't too happy. In fact, we had people in our church give the middle finger of fellowship. Um, we actually had people give the middle finger to um, some of our parking attendants. Um, and you know, there's a sense of, I will not be inconvenienced. This is my church, and how dare you? How dare you make it harder for me? For people who don't even go here. I pay the bills. Um, see, the great opportunity is about remembering who we are. We are the welcomed, so we welcome. Who comes to Seven Rivers Church? Who comes to this church? Um, well, there's followers of Jesus, people whose lives have been intercepted by his grace. Um, there's people who are, are church-wounded people, uh, people who, who aren't really sure they want to. There's a lot of people watching us online that aren't sure they ever want to walk into a church. Um, Matt Johnson said on the video, didn't he, I didn't think I, 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 church was going to be a part of this thing for me anymore. And we have a lot of church-wounded people that walk through the doors here. 
We have religious people who are unconverted. Most people who become Christians in this church would have said they're Christians when they walked through um, the door. We have churched, unconverted people. We have people who are convinced uh, of their unbelief who come here. A lot of those are your teenagers. Um, they do not profess belief, they profess unbelief. And then we have people who walk through here and they don't know why they're here, but they're looking for something. Help, community, belonging. And you know what? Every one of those groups of people needs the welcome of Jesus, the Father's welcome. Pastor in St. Louis tells the story that um, he was... Um, um, he was pastoring along in a suburban church and it was, um, uh, everything was thriving in his life until a day his wife came home and said, um, I don't want to um, be married to you anymore. And so I'm leaving. And I don't want to be a mother anymore, so I'm leaving the kids too. And I don't want to be a Christian anymore, so I'm leaving the church too. And because of all that turmoil, the church said, we don't want you as our pastor anymore, and they dismissed him. And then the school where he taught said, we don't want you as a teacher of pastors anymore. And so he lost his wife, and he lost his job, and he lost his other job, and he and his family felt rejected and alone. And he describes another church uh, having a big staff party and dinner, and they invited him and his kids to come and when he, when he pulled into the house where this dinner was, he could see he, he didn't want to be there. And he looked in the rearview mirror and saw his kids back there, and they didn't want to be there. And all he could say to his kids was, I am so sorry. Um, we, I should not have accepted this. None of us even wants to be here. This is so uncomfortable. He said, um, you know, he started put the car in reverse to get out of there, and then somebody opened the blind and saw him. Now they were trapped. And he said to the kids, we're just going to go in, we're going to eat dinner, then we're going to get out of there. We've got to do this. We've got to survive this. And he said when he walked up and knocked on the door, the door opened, they walked in, and everybody in the room gave him a standing ovation. He said it was so healing to be wanted. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could give a standing ovation to everybody who has the courage to walk through the doors of a church? Do you remember how scary it is? Even when you're a Christian, it's weird to go to another church. The only thing that can make us welcomers is if we remember the wonder of our welcome. So, so many people have delighted in the story of Alexander Hamilton as told by Ron Chernow in his amazing novel and, and then popularized all the more by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And you remember the opening frame of the play about Alexander Hamilton. How does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by Providence, impoverished in squalor, grow up to be a hero and a scholar? And that refrain is repeated all through the play. And you know what it's saying over and over again? Don't forget, this is an unbelievable story. This is a crazy story. How could this be true? How could this guy who had no dad, whose mother died when he was a child, how could this, um, uh, in the middle of the Caribbean, that, uh, where, where his whole island was wiped out by a hurricane, how could anybody from this background become a father of our country, become a writer of the Constitution, right? How could somebody who was this much of a nobody become such a somebody? That's exactly 
the refrain we should sing, right? Every day. How in the world? How in the world am I in your family? I must be, this is, my, this, my story must be the craziest story of anybody who's in your family. The most unlikely, the most unlikely person to belong to you. And you know the only reason we're in God's family? Because just like that lady in our church, one day, somewhere, God intervened in your life and he tapped you on the shoulder, didn't he? Just like that lady who was sitting right over there on her 10th visit. She said, somebody tapped me on the shoulder. Yeah, it was God. God has said, I heard you. I heard your cries. And I want you in my family. That's our story. How could that be? You might be saying, I thought the great opportunity was about money. Now it's about remembering who you are. A nobody. That God made his somebody. His child. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Amen. Jesus. Stun us afresh. We could have wandered through this world alone, bereft of family, friends, companions, bereft of you. Because even in the, in the doubts and the fears that come late at night, even family and friends aren't there, just you. But you found us. And you bid us come home, and when we did, you welcomed us, and you kissed us, and you said we belong to you forever. So Father, this welcome that we've experienced, help us to remember it, and help us to give it away to others. For your glory, we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.